Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. Andrew Hahn, what do you, what do you uh, say now? It's Brian Winhorst and the Hoop Collective. Uh, you can find it on the ESPN app or the Apple iTunes store or wherever you collect your podcast from. Please subscribe, rate, and review, unlike Mr. Winhorst. I still haven't subscribed. Don't believe in it. Uh, joining us today from Boston, and that's special, which we'll talk about in a second, is Timothy Bontemps. Uh, Tim, how's it going in Boston? Hello, Brian. It's good. Comfortable. He had a uh, he had lunch today at his new favorite ramen place, which is in his new apartment. He's now established. He's got a ramen place. Does that make Correct. you happy, Andrew Han? Wait, he's Tim. You live in a ramen shop. Yeah, he does live there. <laughs> he got a great wow. deal on rent. It was the only way to get it for less than <laughs> six grand a month was to live in the back of a ramen shop. There, there's a there's a there's a good ramen place uh, a tenth of a mile from my apartment, which is good. But I, it's not in and my a man. And I'm not in that in the restaurant. And a man making his first appearance on Hoop Collective, I believe, um, who does he has he knows a thing or two about Boston. But joining us today from Austin, Texas, is Kirk Goldsberry. Kirk, did you have a favorite uh, ramen shop in Boston when you lived there? No, I did not. But uh, I, I'm happy that Tim has relocated to Boston. It's a wonderful place, a great basketball city. So, Tim, I hope you're enjoying your time up there. I am. I'm only like five seconds from uh, your old home in Cambridge. So, uh, yeah. So, Kirk, let's just um, you know, people in the NBA community. I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast uh, will know your background. But could you just give us your thumbnail dossier? You've just <laughs> recently you're all, you're rejoining ESPN really because you were at Grantland before. I mean, I don't really feel like you're a new employee, but you're new to ESPN in quotes proper. Yeah, so I started doing basketball research when I was at Harvard, living in Cambridge, uh, studying basketball analytics. Um, Harvard, and then so, Harvard. I'm not familiar mm-hmm. with. Is that like a community college or? It's yeah, it's, it's great in the east, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, it's the Kent uh, yeah. State of New England. <laughs> we started uh, doing shot charts there in 2011 and 12, and the Sloan Conference of 2012. Uh, sort of changed my career a little bit. And I started doing Grantland stuff on the side starting in 2013 before uh, making ESPN my full-time career in 2013 and then went to work for the Spurs in the front office for three years beginning in 2015. Uh, and I left there this summer and came back um, to ESPN in September. And I'm great, to, uh, great, great to be here with you guys. Um, but yeah, the, the world of basketball analytics has taken me the Spurs, Team USA, and ESPN. I'm still enjoying the ride. I don't know where it's going to go next, but it's been fun. Kirk is an expert in spatial analysis. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, I guess so. What I did you? What expert. was your degree? In? <laughs> uh, what my was degree your, was, what in was <laughs> geography and uh, map making and sort of data visualization. Fantastic. Uh, Bontemps got his degree from Saint Bonaventure. Um, <laughs> Not as impressive. I got not, my no, degree. Definitely from, not. I got my degree from Kent State University, which I did in four years. Not everybody can say that. Thank you very much, Andrew Hahn. <laughs> he went to he went to UCLA, but it's not really that impressive of a place. Um, so, guys, uh, it wasn't that interesting of a weekend in the NBA. Although we had the uh, the Marshawn slash Dylan Brooks uh, thing, we did a podcast over the weekend uh, about that. Um, 
I'm not really all that excited about that trade. Should I be excited about that trade, Bontemps? Uh, I mean, I would say the emergency pod was more exciting than the than the actual trade was. Yeah. By the way, Tim, what day did you start at ESPN? Uh, November first. Okay. Andrew Hahn. Now, I want to just point out, Andrew Hahn is one of the editors. And even though he's technically not your editor, um, he was part of the editing team that gave you your schedule for the first six weeks of the season. Um, I believe you have it there right now. That's what I point out. Tim came to ESPN to cover the Celtics, Raptors, and Sixers. And he came at a time when like, they were on crazy schedules. Will you please go over real quick your your? I asked him to do this. He doesn't know off the top of his head. Will you just real quick go over where you were for like that for your first six weeks on the job? No, Everybody settle in. Yeah, just just give it to us quick and dirty. All right, uh, I'll just go in order. I was in Boston, Phoenix, Los Angeles, Denver, Phoenix, Salt Lake City. Uh, San Francisco, Miami, Orlando, Boston again, Philadelphia, Washington, and Philadelphia back to back to back. Uh, Atlanta, Dallas, New Orleans, Memphis, Toronto, San Francisco, Toronto again, Boston, Toronto, Boston, San Francisco, Philadelphia, and then now I'm back in Boston again. And a partridge in a pear Andrew, how tree. dare you guys put him? I mean, a part of the reason why he was in San Francisco those times is because you were that's where you were moving from. Correct. Although you still covered multiple, your teams did come through and play the Warriors. But, yes, you know you, there was a little bit of extra California time. That said, that's preposterous, and I'm happy that you're going to be in Boston for a few days and you can find a noodle shop that you like. Yes, um, that's true. <laughs> Kirk, were you moved at all by that trade? Does that g- excite you, or was it just the fact that there was uh, confusion over the word Brooks? Well, I, yeah, the the Brooks confusion definitely was the most exciting part of the deal. I was wondering where Ariza, uh, Ariza would end up. I think he's a great sort of addition to a competitor. Um, are the Wizards a competitor? I'm not sure about that. But I've always mm. thought Trevor was a, a, a good, versatile piece for depth. And in today's NBA, obviously, a really key component of some successful teams in the last decade or so. So I, I think... I, I was excited for to see where he was going. Uh, I was sort of not disappointed, but yeah, I, I'm not thrilled with the result. The biggest takeaway for me was just that uh, Phoenix clearly was not willing to take on future money um, because they probably could have gotten something more along the lines of what, say, the Bucks did, right? Maybe they could have even made the trade with the Bucks uh, that they made for George Hill the other day and gave up a first-round pick to get off of some money. Um, you know, Phoenix has in the past had designs on spending money in the summer and failed to. And the fact they traded Ariza for essentially Kelly Oubre is a restricted free agent. You know, to me, you know, I, I don't know if that was the wisest use of overall resources on their part. Um, Kirk, could you imagine? And I, you know, I don't. We just this is still an outlier situation. But can you imagine having worked in a front office, um, agreeing to a trade and getting the wrong player in the trade? I mean, can you? Can you see how that would be possible to happen? I don't want to be mean, but no. I mean, I, I can't. Thank you. You know, you don't I have to be not mean. I mean, uh, I mean, there's two Brooks on the team. You have to go in there knowing that and, and, and being clear from the start. And I think it would have been encountered several different times in different places along the way. So, you know, count me among the people that were really surprised that this could happen. Um, 
in the NBA. Yeah. Well, to be um, fair to Phoenix, the trade didn't make sense as constructed if it was, and I think you guys said it on, I think Bobby said it on the pod the other day, it didn't make sense if it was Marshawn Brooks, right? Like, from the beginning. So, I don't know. That that whole thing was just crazy. It was amazing to watch it unfold. Well, I can see why Memphis was excited about it, because even if, <laughs> right. e- e- cause even if they didn't re-sign uh, Oubre, like even if Oubre ends up somewhere else, even renting Oubre for three-quarters of a season um was value at that, you know, I, you know, I guess they get, I think they actually, didn't they actually get a second round pick somehow in the deal too? There was two draft picks in there. I think they, I think they both went to Washington, but I'm pretty sure the pick that was going to Washington was not a, uh, likely second rounder to convey anywhere from Memphis. Oh, I see. All right. So anyway, there's something interesting happened over the weekend. Um, you know, we haven't talked about a lot on the pod just cause, you know, the Kings don't really excite a lot of people here, but, um, it's been a very interesting drama developing between Dave Yeager and the front office in Phoenix, particularly Brandon Williams, who is the assistant general manager. Um, now, look, I've been around long enough to tell you that there are plenty out of times out there where the front office and the coach are on different, are not on speaking terms, uh, and there are plenty of times where, um, you know, you know, most of the time, ninety nine percent of the time, the drama doesn't become public, especially if it's not with the GM. But um, this one has gotten public, and um, there's been a back and forth. There was at first a story that Jaeger's job was in trouble. Um, then Jaeger, however, that happened to identify. He believes he identified Brandon Williams as the leak to that story. Then Jaeger um, kicked Brandon Williams out of, or maybe didn't kick him out, but he asked him to leave a shoot around. All of this has been reported. Long story short, there's no love loss between at least part of the front office and Dave Yeager, who has done a pretty decent job. I thought he, I thought he did a good job last year with that team, all things considered. And, you know, the fact that they're in playoff position this year, um, is largely a factor of, uh, De'Aaron Fox, who we're going to talk about in a minute. But clearly, I'm just setting the groundwork that there's no love loss there. So yesterday, um, the Kings played the Mavericks and beat them. I might add, uh, Fox had a, a terrific game. So did, uh, Luka Doncic. Uh, he had 28 points and nine assists. I think he tied his uh, season high with nine assists. Um, everybody knows that the, uh, the Kings passed on, uh, um, Doncic to take Marvin Bagley with the number two pick in the draft. Um, they kind of get a, I don't know, like, I know it's been a big deal in the Kings world, but, you know, a lot of people, when they think of Doncic, they think of the Hawks. Um, having, uh, you know, traded out of the spot. That's like the, the legacy. Um, but the Kings have kind of gotten a little bit of a pass. Again, not if you're a, a Kings fan, it's probably your life, but, um, you know, it's not something that's talked about as much as the Hawks. Uh, but anyway, uh, Jaeger was talking about Doncic before the game and he gave this quote. Perhaps there was an idea that there was a ceiling on him. I don't see it, unfortunately, for us. Uh, but he's going to be great for them, and he's great for our league. Uh, Bontemps, a little bit of shade there at his front office. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple things. I would say, first of all, the Kings have gotten way more than kind of a pass. They've gotten a total pass. I mean, Marvin Bagley's been okay, but, uh, you, you know, well, I think we're going to talk about De'Aaron Fox in a minute, but the Kings have been awesome this year uh, without Luka. Imagine what they would be like with him on the team with Fox. I mean, that would be one of the most dynamic young combos in the league. And look, I mean, 
I saw the Kings in the preseason in L.A. before I moved, and I, I, I mean, they were playing like four seven-footers at once. There were, there were people joking that uh, it seemed like Jaeger might actually want to get fired um, because of the dysfunction there. And, you know... Oh, that narrative was definitely out there. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, they were just... He, yeah. was, he was just like... He, he was, he was, it, it would seem like a complete disaster of a situation. And for things to have flipped the way they have, for the Kings to be in a playoff spot... I mean, I thought they might win 15 games all season. I think they've already won that many or more. Um, it, it's it's uh, really crazy. <laughs> I, their over-under was 17. I thought it was one of the safest over-under bets in the league. They were so bad in the preseason. And obviously oh. the season's very long, but you don't you didn't look at there and were like, oh yeah, there's a lot of upside. No, um, it's been incredible. Pretty he's much, been the coach of the year by a mile. It's remarkable what he's doing. Do you? I don't know if he's a coach. I mean, do you think he's a coach of the year, Kirk? Uh, I'm, I'm not mad at people who say that. I wouldn't give him that award okay. right now. Uh, but okay. I think you know they've surprised me. Uh, I would give him it at, at this point, but we'll see. The the point is he takes a shot at his front office there. And that is a particular soft spot because, uh, you know, obviously that was a, you know, I mean, Kirk, you were there for several drafts. I mean, working in the front office, I mean, draft night is like one of the, you know, decisions that are made on draft night um, to find a franchise. And the funny thing about it, I mean, it's a funny sort of sad thing is that over the course of decades, Literally, probably hundreds of millions of dollars has been have been spent trying to identify a way to select the best players, and no system is is perfect. Every system has flaws. Every um, evaluation, uh, even even the best teams uh, who are great at drafting, make mistakes. Um, it's so important, yet so still so much left to chance. Um, so it's not like uh, you know. Anybody's, you know, can claim infallibility, but draft night is so important, and so much went into that decision. I mean, I have to assume that the Kings uh, had meeting upon meeting upon meeting about talking about Luka Doncic. So, I mean, you know, Kirk, you've been there. I mean, that 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 process has to be exhaustive, especially when you're picking that high. Oh, it's really, it's really sort of depending on the team. I think it's 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 a major major endeavor with dozens of people, as you referenced, a lot of money spent. Um, with Doncic, I mean, all the all the European scouts you talk to though would sort of wave their hands and be like, "Guys, this isn't a normal player. Uh, like, who will listen to me right now? This is the best European prospect we've seen. He's better than Porzingis, you know. He's he, he the numbers and, and and the way he carried himself and the way he was winning big games is the best player on the court in the second basketball best basketball league on planet Earth. Um, Plus, the Kings' general manager is European." <laughs> exactly. You know, so I mean, I mean, obviously, it, it, some I know some, you know, Pat Riley over the years has been criticized because he doesn't like to take European players. Although he's had a couple, and you know, now his point guard is Goran Dragic. But um, you know, certainly you would think that a, a, a you know a European point guard or a European uh, uh, you know GM would be more adept as to what's going on in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I would I would have thought so too. Um, it just. It just boggles my mind. Now, I'm not going to say that they're foolish or anything like that, but from where I stood at the time, uh, Doncic was a clear pick over Bagley. Um, hindsight is 2020, and in this case, I think it's even more evident at this time in the process. But yeah, draft night, um, I think many of us um, 
would have taken Doncic over Bagley for for the right reasons. Um, and and as you said, I mean, you know, they spend a lot of money. They had countless meetings. You got to wonder uh, what they saw in Bagley. You know, maybe he's going to grow into to the athletic big that, that 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 shocks us all in a few years. But as of as we sit here in December 2018, um, I do think it's fair to say they're getting a free pass um, on this compared to the Hawks, for instance. Um, uh, so we'll see. We'll we, see. we have to assume, yeah, right, yeah. Tim, that uh, Dallas had to have called Sacramento with a trade offer too, because you know I can just tell you in the reporting leading up to it, when I talked to the executives, there was just this unending desire in the in the three to five days leading up to the draft is what is Sac going to do? What is Sac going to do? Um, you yeah. know, it was pretty clear that Aiton was going to go to Phoenix, but Sac's move was going to determine what happened with Doncic. And so I have to assume that Dallas, if they really covered to him, would have called and offered. I don't know for a fact that they did. So I want to be clear about that. But I would have to assume that they called and offered. And considering that they were out a first-round pick uh, this year, uh, because their pick uh, most likely goes to Boston. Right. um, I would assume that, that, you know, when they made the decision that it was not going to be Doncic, that it was a double decision. One, you have a decision between Bagley and Doncic, or you have a decision if let's if we're not going to take Doncic and there's a value of moving out of number two so somebody can take him, namely right. the Mavericks and who knows who else, why not trade back to five uh, where Dallas's pick was and maybe you could have gotten Bagley there or somebody else of similar value. Right. I mean, I'll I'll say that the Kings are foolish, even if Kirk won't, because Kirk is more polite <laughs> than me. But uh, no, look, when in the in the couple of days leading up to the draft, it, the Bagley to the Kings stuff got pretty strong. And by the morning of the draft, that was kind of where people thought it was going to go. And even like you mentioned that the the Kings front office is European. It's not just European; it's Yugoslavian. I mean, it's, you know, Vlade Divac and Peja Stojakovic. I mean, Peja. that's kind of the the, Ser- the Serbian mafia there running the team. You would think a guy from Slovenia would be right up their alley. But you heard for months going back, and part of this is because I was in San Francisco, so you were around Kings people and kind of heard what was going on. You heard for months that they were just not nearly as high on Luka as everybody else. Um, now, why, I don't know. Um, but they did just you consistently heard that they were kind of out on him from the beginning. So, um, you know, I, I they really locked in on Bagley. I don't know if he would have been there at five. I obviously... Would have made the trade if I was them. I don't. I don't know either. Like you said, if the if the Mavs called them, but um, I, I would certainly say it, it worked out well. Uh, it worked out well for Dallas, and um, you know I I think Trey is going to be okay for Atlanta. I think it worked out okay for them too. But you know you just look at this Kings team and where they could be with Luca. It'd be pretty scary. And to go back to your initial question about Dave Yeager, it just feels like this is going to end with Dave Yeager getting fired at some point. Uh, despite how well they're doing, it just feels like this is headed down. Maybe it's going to end up being the Brandon Williams. Well, or, or Dave Yeager goes, asking but... out, because Dave Yeager right. asked out of Memphis. Right. Um, you know, so uh, I wouldn't, and, and one of the reasons why I wouldn't is because of De'Aaron Fox, who is having a tremendous sophomore season. Um there's so much about his game that is is light is to like he he plays with an incredible amount of speed, um, which you see young point guards who are fast who've like never had a knee injury or, or you know an ankle injury. 
he plays with incredible speed, but also has uh, finesse. Um, he's 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 become an expert at shooting the floater, and his ability to get into the lane um, with quickness and then use his finesse to to finesse the ball up there. It to me is what like that's when I, when I watch him play, that's what I it really sticks out to me. Um, and I've started to wonder, and I, I had a conversation with somebody about this over the weekend. Is there a chance that De'Aaron Fox would end up being the best player out of the 2017 draft? I don't think we would have had that discussion three months ago. I think it's a dis- I don't think you're going to have an answer. But to to refresh your memory, then you know we're only talking about two years ago. The number one pick was Markel Fultz. You know that's its own thing. Number two pick was Lonzo Ball. So there's two point guards right off the bat picked ahead of Fox. And um, you know there was a whole thing with Ball and uh, and De'Aaron Fox. Um, you know coming out of college and summer league and all that stuff. Um, Jason Tatum was selected third, who I would have said, um, you know, he had a great chance to, uh, to, you know, to, uh, to do that. You know, then, you know, we had the whole, um, you know, rookie of the year sort of, I don't know if you want to call it drama, whatever, you know, Ben Simmons won it. Um, but there was a, you know, I don't know, I don't, you know, whatever. Ben Simmons was a rookie last year. That's then, um. But you know you have Donovan, D- Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> well, I just I didn't want to go down that road. Yeah, you didn't want to relitigate it, so instead you right. just like said, uh, "Okay." Right. But anyway, so so without going pick by pick here, Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum were regarded as sort of the two prizes. Um, just to give you the other picks, the other picks, uh, Josh Jackson was taken by the Suns from fourth, who I have jokingly called Larry Bird because um, the way that the Kings or the way that the Suns rejected all these trade offers for him and like to move to the number four pick, I you know thought he was Larry Bird the way they were reacting to the way they were protecting that pick. Um, Darren Fox was taken fifth uh, by the Kings. Jonathan Isaac went sixth to the Magic. Frank Nilakina, another point guard, went eighth to the Knicks. Uh, hasn't been so great. Zach Collins, who's having a nice start to his career, um, went 10th to the Blazers. Um, Wait, why did you uh, skip over? Oh, uh, I skipped I over saying, Dennis. Just by the top, you skipped by the top two picks in the draft there, boss. Yeah. <laughs> I, I skipped over Dennis Smith and Laurie Markkinen. I apologize. I don't know why I did. But you also, Laurie you also, was skipped, seven. You also skipped past Marco Fultz and Lonzo Ball. <laughs> no, <laughs> I said Markel was in the same conversation. I mean, I think it's... He must, he must have been daydreaming because I said Fultz I, and Lonzo I guess. Ball. I didn't hear him. I feel like um, we would all agree that uh, Darren Fox would be the best point guard out of that draft. Is that is that a stretch already to say? I think it's a stretch to make any assumption based on the second year. Yeah. But um, all right, I'll Kirk, stretch it. I'm think? willing to say it. Sure, Kirk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I'll give Lonzo some more time on that front. But um, you know, I think Tatum and, and and Donovan are obviously probably still ahead of uh, Darren right now. I mean, that's not controversial, is it? No. Well. Yeah. I would I say it is, I wouldn't say I would say it isn't because he was so far behind them last year and he's probably been better than them so far this year but in totality those guys I mean those guys were making big plays in playoff games last year right like you know he's been really Fox has been really good for 25 30 games but you know let's see what this looks like you know in April does he get them to the playoffs do they you know, do anything like, you know, we got to give it a little time. And like Lonzo last year was better than like Fox was not good last year, 
like most rookie point guards aren't. Um, Lonzo was okay across the board last year besides his shot. So, yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a lot of time left, obviously, for this to shake out. But um, now, Tim, you know, I Fox love has certainly put himself yeah. in the mix. For I sure. think you know, looking back at these guys in the playoffs last year, I mean, you have Tatum dunking on LeBron famously, and then you have right. uh, Donovan Mitchell running the thunder off the court. Um, so that those moments stick with me, and and, and meaningful moments uh, in meaningful games. And I'm not saying Fox can't do that. I'm saying he hasn't done that. Um, and but to Brian's larger point. If this is the difference between year one and year two, and I allow for the possibility to be uh, the the difference between year year two and year three to be uh, another jump forward, um, he has a lot of incredible skills. He is fast. I mean, the first time you see this guy, uh, it's like seeing young John Wall. It's like this guy is clearly the fastest person on the basketball court, and he knows what to do with his speed. Um, yeah. And this year, I found I find them sort of getting more comfortable with that skill set learning how to cash it in, getting to the free throw line, getting to the bucket. Um, he's gone from a very below average player to an above average player in this, uh, in this uh, season. So if he does that again, if there's another leap in there, like he could, he could be the best player out of this draft. I, I don't think it's a ridiculous point. I just don't think he's there just yet. And I root for him because he wanted to go to Sacramento and I, it's, it, it was cool to see a guy, be like, you know, a lot of times, you know, we know in the draft process, guys will say, I don't want to go work out for this team or I want to try to stay away from that team. And Sacramento for a long time has been that kind of a team. And Fox is a, you know, a, 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 a you know, a pretty bright, interesting kid. And he, from the beginning was like, Hey, I'd love to go play for the Kings. So, you know, given how moribund that franchise has been and how dedicated that fan base has been to a team that has just not been good for so long, um, it would be pretty, it's pretty neat to see this turnaround. And if he can, you know, be the face of a revitalization of that franchise. It would be pretty fun to watch. Well, I botched uh, listing the uh, the draft picks, I know, because I was looking at a list that was messed up, but it's my fault. But so the point is there were five. There were five I did say uh, ball and faults. Did I not? Yes, did, did you, I get you did say ball okay, and faults. Yes. Well, my bad then. I, I didn't hear them, so it's my fault. Right. Anyway, there were five I, point guards taken in the top nine in that draft. So faults and ball, uh, although faults can play off guard, but he – point guard he's a point guard um Fulton Ball uh Darren Fox uh Frank Nielakino and Dennis Smith Jr. although Dennis Smith Jr. can can play both positions I guess Nielakino I guess can a little bit in theory although he's not having a good year um so it's a very point guard heavy draft and I don't think there was another point guard taken on the first round I'm looking here at this list there was um, not yeah Derek, I think oh, the Derek, next point Derek White's a combo guard with the Spurs oh right Derek White okay that's right um G League um, champion yes. Derek White. Not sure if you saw that, Brian, but this guy, <laughs> this guy Derek White, he he uh, the Austin Spurs now, but uh, he oh, the ran Austin the Austin Spurs. Spurs all the way through the uh, G League playoffs into a, oh, okay. uh, a win over uh, Stack. Monty Morris taken in the second round. Here's here's a question: Is Monty Morris the third best point guard in last year's draft? I would say maybe yes. Well, let's you know, Monty Morris has had a tremendous start to the season. By the way. Uh, <laughs> When Isaiah Thomas gets healthy in Denver, I mean, are they going to reduce Monty Morris's minutes? Because I don't know if they should do that. And I don't. I'm not taking not a shot. That. I am not taking a shot at Isaiah Thomas. He is no fan of mine. But I mean, I just, um, I don't know. That's that's for another day. Um, I don't. Know, I just. I think De'Aaron Fox is. Um, uh, I mean, this is the first time the Kings have had a player. And, and how long where we're like, wow, like this, this is, a, this might, you know, all these lottery picks that they have had year over year right. over year, 
They have never been able to get a player. We're, we're in this, we're in his second year saying, oh my gosh. I mean, it wasn't long ago. They had a lottery pick. I don't remember, um, how do you pronounce his last name? The guy they had a lottery pick and they cut him in his second year. Oh, um, Papianis. Papianis. Giorgios Papianis. Papianis. I don't even remember. Yeah. yeah, that was it. That, that, that was in his second year, right? Yep. Wasn't that his second season? Yep. I mean, this was two years ago. They, they cut a lottery pick in the second season. I think he was like the 12th or 13th pick, so it's not quite the same, yeah. but still. Um, and we won't even that get the into – They got them uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Suns. So they traded up who's to get also, Chris. Who's also having a nice season, uh, too. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, we'll be talking about Darren Fox going forward. So interesting story in, t- in ESPN.com today by Ian O'Connor. Um, he got a long, a two-hour sit-down with Jim Dolan. Uh, Bontemps, how rare is it that Jim Dolan gives an interview, much less for two hours? It's rare. He only uh, he's he only does that with certain people. He's done it with uh, my pal Bonaventure alum, Mike Vaccaro, a few times from the yeah. New York Post. Uh, but there aren't many people he is willing to grant an audience to. And Ian, Ian's great. He's been in the market a long time, so he he got one, and a lot was said as always with Dolan whenever he does decide. To well, talk. what um, did you read it? I mean, what what did you take away from? It? I know what's getting a headline, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what did you take away from it? I mean, Dolan is. Ian kind of lays out the picture of Dolan, which which is kind of a complicated one because he is like he is this guy that is a fan and he wants his team to be good and I I, I don't know he's just always been an interesting guy to me because he's this you know obviously he's this reviled figure that as a longtime New Yorker anybody you talk to in New York is like oh God can Dolan just sell the team please um, you know and he has the thing with Charles Oakley and yet through all that he <laughs> always remains he always remains defiant and. You know he's he's never uh, he's never going to back down. He's never going to say he should do something differently. And you know it's it he's just a very interesting, complicated guy. <laughs> he is defiant. Like Ian asked him some, you know, because he hasn't given an interview in several years. Ian asked him some direct questions about controversies, and he you know in other words, he gave himself a chance to. You know, get himself on the record about controversies, and he basically was like, "I, I regret nothing." Yep, um, that's, know, that's his um, that's his stance. He never regrets anything. He'll never he'll never say, "I, I screwed that up. I should have done that differently." He'll just be like, "He'll just yeah. power ahead." And you know, he did get asked about the Phil Jackson hire, and he basically said he didn't regret it. And uh, you know, he, he said if he said if Phil had a flaw, it was that it wasn't that the triangle offense was impossible to sell to, to modern teams. It was that he couldn't implement the system that he wasn't able to get it implemented. Um, he, uh, but he, he basically said he didn't regret it. I don't think, um, he said that Phil thought he would have more patience. Uh, Phil thought Dolan would have more patience than he did, but, um, um, he didn't, uh, you know, he got asked about the Anuka Brown, uh, Sanders situation with, with Isaiah Thomas, the other Isaiah Thomas, where he lost $11 million judgment. Um, he did not indicate he he was still defiant about that. <laughs> Basically, said the jury got it wrong, and if they had heard the story and if he had handled it differently, you know, I I kind of think that's a that's a tough position to take. Um, he 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 got asked about his relationship with Harvey Weinstein. And he basically said, I was ahead of America and I dumped Harvey Weinstein a year before, um, you know, all that stuff came out. I, you know, I just, 
I, I thought particularly on the uh, on the Anuka front that was not well. Here's the quote: I think us. we didn't defend ourselves well, so shame on us. If I had to do it again, I'd be much more careful about how we defended ourselves. That's really not. That's really yeah. Not, not shame answer. on us for how she was treated. Shame on us <laughs> right. for not having better defense. Shame right. on us for um, shame on us for failing to get out of this lawsuit without having to pay twelve million dollars for being terrible. Well, you know, he, terrible one of the things I took away from it was he may need better lawyers because he obviously didn't feel like he defended himself that well. And there was another part he recently had to pay a six hundred thousand dollar fine for not disclosing something correctly to the SEC. It, it was he blames it on his attorneys. So I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be his attorney. I'll put it leave it at that. But, I would um, say he definitely needs better PR people and better attorneys uh, reading. Well, he's he swapped out all of his PR people recently. But kudos I'm to not, Ian for getting these quotes. I just can't believe they they got out into the world. I mean, some well, to, I mean, to this your is, point, there's just a pattern of this these is, things, and you're just like, this, why did you say this to a microphone? This is the conundrum that is Dolan, though, Kirk, because the guy never talks, right? But every time he talks, he says all this stuff. Like, he's actually an interesting interview. It's not like he's one of these guys that when he gives an interview, it's like paint dries over, right? And you don't care. Like, whenever he does decide to give an interview, it's like all, I mean, you read the interview, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's interesting stuff. But he, yeah, he, <laughs> he's, he's a very interesting guy. And Well, for me, know, yeah, for me, the takeaway there, Tim, is like, this is a portrait of a, a small man with big pockets and a portrait Correct. of how how ownership steers the fate uh, of NBA franchises. Probably the m- most underlooked part of NBA, sort of the NBA uh, sort of situation and by fans and, and others is just how important ownership is and can be to the overall success of a franchise. Um, and if you read Ian's excellent piece, for me, that's one of the main takeaways. It's just like, this is how ownership affects a team. You hire the executives. You manage them through crises. You know, um, you, you determine the style of play and, and who gets in the building um, and who gets out of the building. And, and, and this, to me, is a, a story of a man who hasn't been able to do that, at least for his professional basketball team, uh, very well. So that, that's, how, that's how I would say. Uh, the just how important ownership is and can be for an NBA franchise. That's what I took away from Ian's piece. Just to your point, Kirk, s- look at the Warriors pre Lake of Goober owning the team and post Lake of Goober owning the team. And obviously well, they got, in that particular they drafted case, well, Chris, but you know, yes. Well, in that particular case, it's extremely relevant because the previous owner Chris Cohan and some of the people that he had underneath them were, I mean, like you, you know. <laughs> There may not be a more extreme case of owner to owner in NBA right. history. Um, right. But Jim Dolan does point out in that story, I think, it, maybe it's Ian who points out in that story, but it might be, I think it's, it might be Dolan who that, you know, that Lacob got booed when he traded away Monte Ellis. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess that sounds, like something Jim still, would, that sounds like something Jim would say, that's for sure. There's still time for me, I think, is what he basically said, was, was the point. Um, what Kirk just said, I, you know, I have some. I've over the years that I've covered the NBA, I've had relationships with people who have had to make make decisions on jobs, whether they're coaches or or general managers. And I've been in a position at times to discuss with them um, as they're evaluating a job. And I would say what Kirk said rings so true for the highest level of both players and you know and coaches and employees. Um, if you basically, if you have a choice, if you have, a, if you have a choice of where to go, if you're, if you're at high enough level to have a choice, 
um, ownership is so important because ownership can't be altered. Uh, when you make an agreement to join a team, you know, almost certainly that owner is not going to change. Um, everything else theoretically could change. And when I, you know, if you're a free agent, if you're Kawhi Leonard, if you're Kevin Durant, if you're Clay Thompson, if you're Jimmy Butler, you know, these guys who potentially can change aspects of teams, considering ownership has got to be a big factor. And, you mm-hmm. know, the Knicks are one of the teams. And so, like, if you're Kevin Durant and you're going to dedicate the rest of your prime uh, to a team, whether that team is remaining in Golden State, going to the Lakers, going to the Knicks, going to another team, well, that is a factor. That is a factor. And, you know, Robert Sarver, for example, I mean, right. um, you know, J- James Jones has a job right now, and I wish him the best of luck. But, um, you know, p- there are plenty of people who would – who would never work for the Suns while he is while he is the owner? His reputation is terrible because of the people who who he, you know, the things the decisions that he has made and some of the people who have worked with him have gone out and told stories. So, um, but choosing an owner is important. But anyway, well, the thing that got the headline from this article was that he would he didn't totally shoot down the concept that he would sell the Knicks. Um, although, if you read the actual quote. He basically said, I don't think my family who has voting power would want me to sell it, but I'm a businessman, and as a businessman who has shareholders to answer, you would never say never, which is probably a very smart answer. And also one thing that Ian points out is that Jim Dolan is a good businessman. Um, the Madison Square Garden has been wildly profitable. He did some things with Cablevision that made it wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. profitable. Um, you know, uh, they point out that he invested a billion dollars in a renovation, um, and it probably even cost more than that because they lost all kinds of concert sure. dates while they were renovating it. And the or Madison Square Garden renovation, Tim, is fantastic. I mean, it's it's, it's, just, it's uh, unbelievable to see what it's like compared to what's before. Um, even though right. the tunnel is gone, as our pal Frank Isola likes to. Uh, oh my God! Get, about, get, about that tunnel, who cares anyway. about that tunnel? Jeez. Here's what stands um, out to me. The, the, yeah. Here's here's the quote to me. On the belief, because I actually hadn't heard this before, on the belief that some among some high-ranking league executives that he has fielded offers upward of five billion dollars for the Knicks, no one has come through with a bona fide offer. You hear numbers all the time. I think people have sent feelers out, but never any that were pursued. Yeah, they are around that number, but these things—it's like a stock price. It's only important if you're going to buy or sell. So if like. If you think about it, the most an NBA team has sold for is about two point two or two point three billion dollars. That's right around where the Nets and the Rockets uh, were sold for within the last year, um, or at least at that valuation. So, like, if, if there's even people contemplating buying a team for five billion dollars, first of all, it's crazy. Second of all, like, you're you can probably almost guess who the people are because how many people in the world have that much money? I mean, you're talking well, about an extremely small group. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily have to. It does. You know, you know, you don't have to write the five billion dollar check. And also, it could be corporations. You know, that's something we true. can see. That's also again. true. But the thing that I thought when I saw the five billion dollar number—that's an interesting. That's an interesting thing for sure. I, I wondered if that included Madison Square Garden. Ah, uh, yes. Structure. Could. Then again, um, the Knicks I, are valued I, at like close to four billion dollars anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would not, never say never because the Knicks are something that would maybe come for sale once in 40 years. 
um, mm-hmm. a, a franchise like the Knicks. There's a like, lot of rich New Yorkers um, who'd probably love to own the Knicks too. <laughs> right. I mean, there there would be a bidding war. Um, that's why it's amazing that the Golden State Warriors sold for they sold for four hundred fifty million. I think um, Golden State Warriors today are probably they're over worth three. They're over three for sure. Three billion. Get their new arena rocking. Yeah. Including the new arena, like if you sold the arena with the team, I think you would get over four billion, maybe oh, close to five. So, easy. I could see the I could see the Knicks with the arena being worth five more so billion. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I mean that's the thing. The it's it's when was the last time a New York team even sold? Like I uh, saw I, Woody Johnson bought the bought the Jets. Well, Prokhorov actually. Yeah. Broke off well, the Nets. Yeah. Boy, he got that for a song. He turned that around beautifully. He basically got the Nets for free. <laughs> right. Well, and they, well, they, and they just sold again. Joseph Sy is going to going to buy him. I think that's going to be over two billion, wasn't it? Two point two as well. The vet, yeah, valuation was like two point three billion. I think. And he he paid like he bought like half the team. But he, he doesn't actually have it yet. But he will have the whole team. So, uh, by the way, the Nets have won five in a row. Um, we won't really talk about it, but they've won five in a row and um, playing well. Interesting game against uh, the Lakers tomorrow. Yeah, Lakers at the end of a long road trip. So while we have you here, Bontemps, I want to uh, talk a little bit about the Celtics. Um, Let's do it. They they have won eight in a row, seven in a row. Um, what is it? Um, they've put up uh, some tremendous offensive numbers, um, dealt with some injuries along the way. Uh, Kyrie Irving has developed not only is he having a great season but um, he's really becoming a vocal leader Um, you are in Boston so tell us what's going on with the Celtics right now well the Celtics have played an incredibly easy schedule I I think that is that is really the biggest takeaway here I mean if you you go back they I was in Dallas with them they lost to the Mavs Luka Doncic went crazy Kyrie Irving got all upset at one point, by the way, the, Epis- the uh, Celtics I forgot lost over the weekend to the Pistons, so their winning streak is over. The Pacers, yeah, have the longest winning streak in the league. Since so, then, though, they won eight. That, they'd won eight. No, it's okay. They'd won eight in a row before that game. But here are the here are the games in that streak: uh, New Orleans twice, Cleveland, Minnesota, the Knicks, the Bulls, the Wizards, and the Hawks. So it, it's not like they've been playing a murderer's row. And look. To their credit, they were barely they they needed they lost the Knicks earlier in the year. They needed a, a miraculous comeback to beat the Suns in overtime. Uh, you know they you know they they lost some games they really shouldn't have early on. So the fact that they're playing well, you know, is is positive for them. And they are you know Kirk has written about their offense. Their offense is starting to look better lately. Um, but after they play Phoenix here Wednesday, they go into this upcoming stretch. They got Milwaukee, Charlotte. Philly, Houston, Memphis, San Antonio, Minnesota, Dallas, Brooklyn, and the Pacers. Like we get Harder, through those ten games, still, and still then I have right. a much better idea of where this Celtics is at. Um, but you look at their overall mix. Gordon Hayward is looking better a little bit every game, which is a good thing for them. Uh, you know they are starting to get into round into better shape overall. Um, Al Horford's knee is an issue. That's something that I don't think has gotten enough coverage. Um, but well, they're not know, they really saying what it like is. Themselves. They're just saying sore knee, right? They have. He's got really patellar defined. tendonitis. 
Well, they, everybody's they, got patellar, patellar <laughs> right? I mean, that's what they're. That I mean, that true, but I mean, that's what they're. That's what they've they've they finally called it that. They were just saying for a while he had a sore knee. Um, that that's that's to me the biggest concern. You know, their young guys starting to play better. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, they're they're starting to round into form. But all this to me in the end comes down to is Horford healthy in in the playoffs, and is Gordon Hayward back to being close to what he was in Utah? Which I I think by May he'll be there or close. Um, but you know, that to me is their whole season, how good Gordon Hayward is. If he, if he's like 60 or 70% of what he was in Utah, they're probably going to lose in the second round. And if he's 85 or more, then they got a chance to make the finals. Kirk, what do you, um, you've, you've oh, analyzed man. the Celtics. Office. I got so much, so many hot takes here. I think, you know, <laughs> Brad Stevens deserves a ton of credit for building the best defense in the NBA over the last two years. Um, Incredible. They've ranked number one in defensive rating. Uh, they're close to the top now. I believe they're two or three. Um, but if he deserves that kind of shine for defense, then he deserves a little bit of criticism for what I think was one of the most underperforming offenses for the first 15 or so games this year. There's no excuse for this group of players to be the 27th best offense in the NBA, which is what they were um, heading into, I want to say, November 19th. They uh, changed the starting lineup around, and Marcus Smart... And Marcus Morris enter the starting lineup. Yeah, it was the start of that streak. Yeah. Start of that streak. And, and Hayward and Jalen Brown go to the bench. Um, which, by the way, is, you know, having so many great scorers uh, to the casual observer would be like, oh, this is, this is easy. Brad's job is easy. But I think it took him a while to sort of figure out how to balance these guys. And, We've seen this before. I mean, when David Lee got hurt, oh my God, Draymond Green. Um, some of these right. things are obvious immediately. Some of them take an injury. Some of them take some uh, tinkering in the garage. And I think Brad, however it happened here, uh, deserves credit because, like we alluded to a few minutes ago, their offensive indicators are through the roof. They have the number one net rating uh, in the last 15 games in the NBA, uh, and their net rating is over twice as high as the next team, I believe. They're, they're killing it. Yeah, they've played uh, an easy schedule, and that has to be brought up. However, if they were playing the Suns and the Bulls every night, these indicators would still be very good for this team, comparing to where they were um, as the 27th-ranked offense for most of the year. Um, I think they've traded in a few points of their defensive rating in favor of you know, just having scorers on the floor at all times. Um, I think when you had Gordon and Jalen out there with Kyrie, uh, and Tatum, there's some diminishing returns. I mean, if your fourth best option on the floor is Gordon Hayward, what really are you getting out of that? Um, you put somebody else like Marcus Smart, who has a nose for the ball, or, or Marcus Morris, who's having a great year all around, uh, and you just have a better ecosystem for basketball. So I think, you know, this is a story about rotations and cracking a code on a very talented group of basketball players that just wasn't meshing for whatever reason earlier in the season. Um, and I think the coaching staff deserves credit. I think the players um, deserve credit. We have two sort of prominent players accepting a bench role. Um, we've certainly seen that in the last few years, that not all players in the league are happy to do that. Um, and so I think it's a really good sign for the Boston. Um, and, and, By the way, you know, yeah. uh, Marcus Morris for uh, Avery Bradley, one of the underrated excellent trades of the last two seasons. Ugh. Avery Bradley yeah. is not having a good year. Yeah, he's not, and he's, well, he's um, been a train you know, wreck. He, had, he had surgery. 
had a sports hernia surgery, so he was injured uh, last year. But Marcus Morris has been awesome for them. Uh, that guy's kind of shooting fifty from the field and fifty from three this season, which has been crazy to watch. And a free agent to be on a guy who was really underpaid the last four years. Um, and as Jackie uh, Mack has said, seems to have really turned things around. You know, after getting some help from a mental health standpoint. You know, yeah, it's a real. So, it's honestly a real success story from that standpoint. But I one thing, Kirk, off, real Kirk. quick to go. I just wanted to ask Kirk a question based off that. You would say you would agree though that if Gordon Hayward is like the player he was before in a few months, then that mix looks a lot different that they had to start games early on, right? And I think part yeah. of the part of part of the issue there was that they were trying to kind of force feed Hayward into that lineup when he clearly still was working his way back. And I think for everybody involved, the bench role has really. Um, has really fit very well. Yeah, I think so. I think that's totally fair. He he doesn't look like he's fully back yet. Um, I, I think it's a long season, and, and as long as he's looking better and better each month, that they're going to be happy with that. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. I think you know you look at the the jersey and it says twenty and it says Hayward, and you're like, okay, here we go. He's an all star level player, but he wasn't right. at the beginning of the year. Um, so I think yeah, that's totally fair. Um, whatever the reason. Uh, the current lineup um, is wildly overperforming the older lineups uh, in in offensive efficiency, um, and uh, I credit that to to the whole group. Um, but yeah, I think Gordon deserves some credit for accepting that um, and going to the bench. Um, and well, I, part I, of it I, is I, he's also paid. There's some guys on this roster who have gotten a little antsy because they haven't been paid. Mm-hmm. Gordon is taken care of and knows it, and I think. It's also kind of his personality, even though he blossomed more into a leadership role um, in in uh, Utah at the end. His personality kind of is more willing to, you know, be a member of the team uh, than yep. he is to step out. Um, Some breaking Bontemps, news. What do you, okay, There's, the Thunder have picked up Billy Donovan's contract option for next season. Oh, stop! <laughs> breaking uh, news. That's, a, that's actually a big deal. I think. I think it is a big deal. Yeah, I agree. Why, w- why would they do that uh, right now? I would well, they're guess playing. I, they're playing they're really, playing really well. well. I mean, you're talking about a team. No, no. And I think. No, I get. I get that. But why? It's sort of a strange time to pick up your coach's option. I I have a theory. There's been, and I think maybe for the same reason why Kirk thinks it's a big deal. There's been a lot of chatter that Billy at some point could be in trouble there, and I think it's mm-hmm. a show of confidence in him with the way they're playing that uh, kind of puts some of that to rest. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think coaching shows up more than anywhere on a basketball team on, on defense. Um, and there had been some chatter that, that, that he might not be there for very long. And I think uh, if you look at their defensive markers this year, without Andre Roberson, by the way, um, they are top two defense in the NBA and winning a lot of games uh, and seemingly getting better. And in the running for the mysterious who's the second best team in the Western Conference right now, uh, it's Billy Donovan's Oklahoma City Thunder, I think. Yeah, and Paul George is having a great season. Um, Fantastic. Sometimes we see guys, even sometimes, even star level players get a contract, don't always uh, have a great year the next year, but he has been tremendous uh, this year. Tremendous. Um, uh, um Kyrie uh, taking on very. Uh, really seems to me to be, I don't know if it's a concerted effort or it's just shining through, taking on a leadership role, really yeah. 
doing that. Uh, do you think that's been a positive? I'm not sure if it's been a positive, but it's definitely been interesting. I mean, I thought uh, I thought Jackie Mack in her story last week on Jalen Brown really kind of got Kyrie to open up about that in a way he hasn't before. And I mean, look that that's one of the things that that's kind of been interesting to watch with the Celtic team, right? You, you don't really you look at their roster, and I think she touched on this on the podcast last week, but. You know, the leaders on that team are probably Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris, which, you know, it's good to have guys like that on your roster. But generally, you look at the elite teams, they're probably going to have a guy who's in the near the top of their pecking order from a playing standpoint, be the guy that you look to as kind of the face of the team from a leadership standpoint. And, you, you know, Kyrie's always been kind of a, a loner, I would say. And so is Gordon Hayward, like you said. Al Horford's a quiet guy. Jason Tatum's a, you know, a second-year player, right? There wasn't like an obvious fit in that mix. And, you know, it has been interesting to see Kyrie take this, you know, kind of vocal leadership role to call out the young guys on the team repeatedly earlier in the year when the team was struggling. And there were some clear internal issues with the play of some of those young guys, most notably Jalen Brown. Um, You know, it's been very interesting to watch. And um, I'm sure it's been interesting for you to watch as a guy who spent so much time with him in Cleveland. I mean, this isn't stuff that he was necessarily doing in the past. And, uh, it's it's been it's been interesting from my standpoint to kind of see him try to step into that role and even like I said even in that article with Jackie really admit that it's been a more difficult thing than he expected it would be. Well, this is what Kyrie has always wanted. He's wanted his team. We've talked about this in the pod earlier. He's wanted this team to sort of he wanted a team to call his own, and he's so interested in it that he recommitted to the team before he even had to, and he's now doing commercials wanting to get his number retired and he's clearly you know he, he basically you know i'm not so sure he would agree with the way i'm about to characterize this but he basically wants what lebron had which is uh all roads led through lebron he set the tone every single night he set the tone um the way he practiced he set the tone uh what he said in huddles he set the tone by the way he played, he held players to high expectations. Um, I always go back to his first practice with the Cavs when he came back from the Heat. Um, he he called the players only meeting and went to every single guy on the on the roster and told them what he expected of them and what he wanted uh, their role to be, which uh, may have undercut David Blatt, but certainly was not something that Kyrie had ever seen before. And um, I'm not sure sure Kyrie would do that. But, you know, he, I think, would like to have that, you know, that role. I think he would like to be the guy who is attached to winning the championship for an organization like LeBron was for the Cavs, even though Kyrie played a massive, massive role and hit the shot that won it. uh, You would attach that championship to LeBron. LeBron was holding the trophy at the end, and LeBron got the finals MVP award. And I think that's what Kyrie wants. And if he can do it, with an organization like the Celtics, um, all the better. And I think he's trying to he's trying to take the steps to put himself on that path, whether he gets there or not. It's a different story. Um, before we go, Bob Thompson, I want to ask you about another one of your teams, the 76ers. Um, Joel Embiid is kind of back, had a, had sort of a, a weird week. Um, they gave him some time off. He said he wasn't tired, but that, he really didn't think he was being used uh, correctly. Uh, you were at the game, I think, over the weekend, right, where he went for 40 and 20 or something like that? What was his 40 stats? 40 and 21 against the Pacers. 
Um, uh, Pacers still won the game. A great win for the Pacers. By the way, the Pacers' uh, defense over the last 10 games has been phenomenal. Um, even though Oladipo has only, I think, been back for three games. He had a great game last night against the Knicks, his first game where he kind of looked like himself. The Pacers are, by the way, tied for second in the East right now, um, ahead of the Celtics and Sixers, um, doing very good That's despite right. uh, injuries uh, that they've had to deal with. Um, but And they play the Raptors on Wednesday, I believe. Um, so that will be an interesting game. Um, yes, they do. To see where they're, to see where they're at. Um, it'll be, we'll see who, who's healthy. The Raptors are some dinged up with some players right now. Um, what, give us your uh, evaluation of where the Sixers are. We, we know the fault stuff is hanging over everything, but they kind of seem like they lost their way a little bit with, uh, with some of this Embiid stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think the Embiid stuff is, is kind of overblown, right? I mean, he said some stuff. They, they have a lot of big personalities on the team with him and Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons, and stuff's going to be said, and it's just kind of the way it's going to be, right? And even the fault stuff, like, that's a circus, but for now he's away from the team, and it just kind of is what it is. Their issue is they just don't have enough good players, in my opinion, and their roster is very oddly constructed. You look at their team now, they obviously have those three guys. They've got J.J. Redick at the two. And then they have a ton of question marks. Wilson Chandler is their starting four. A, is Wilson Chandler going to be healthy? B, is Wilson Chandler going to be good? The other night against Indy, he got destroyed. He had, I think he played 30 minutes. He had four shots. He didn't make any. He went scoreless. was a complete non-factor. Um, they don't have a backup behind him at all. They're playing Mike Muscala at the four behind him. He's really a five. Uh, they have McCon- TJ McConnell's a fine backup point guard, but they've got a rookie in Landry Shamit who's been terrific. Uh, playing the two. He's not really big enough to guard twos. That Furkan Korkmaz, a guy they declined his option two months ago, playing big minutes as their backup three. Uh, he, he can't guard really anybody there. Yeah, he, he can really shoot there. the ball, but he can't guard anybody. Like they, they just have a lot of holes on their roster, and they have, and they have guys, you know, Jimmy's going to miss probably 15 games a year. Joel is probably going to miss 10 or 15 games over the year. Um, you know, maybe this year he'll be healthier, but you still have to expect him to miss some time. JJ Redick. By the way, he got some time off, which he said he wasn't tired. He got some time off and immediately started playing better. Right. Maybe it's a he coincidence, was, but it's not a coincidence. He, going into the Raptor game last week, he played the fourth most minutes in the league behind right. Drew Holiday, Kevin Durant, and uh, Clay Thompson. So, hmm. I mean, he, he clearly needed a blow. And you know, in that that Raptor, that All Access Raptor game last week, he was awful. Got dominated by Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka, and just looked exhausted talking about it after the game in the locker room. Um, so, look, I mean, they have a ton of talent with those top three guys, and if they can get some depth pieces throughout the year, if they can get some buyout guys, maybe they can piece this together. But as I look at them compared to these other teams in the East, I'm not even sure if they would beat Indiana in a playoff series in the end because they just they have a ton of holes on the rest of the roster. And... I just, if it's going to be, they're going to have a lot of work to do between now and March 1st to try to fill in some of these gaps because otherwise they're going to go into the playoffs with some, some really large questions facing them to try to scheme around, even with having three potential All Stars on the roster. Real quick, uh, Indiana Pacers have one of the best front courts in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, even down to their bench. When you look at Boyan Bogdanovich, who's. I can't Incredible. believe the way he's defending. I yeah. I watched them play last night. They they smothered the Knicks defensively last night. I know that the Knicks aren't the 86 Celtics, but they just 
completely threw him out of their game, and, and Boyan was a big part of it. <laughs> they have Thaddeus Young, who, when he signed that contract with the Nets four years ago, I thought, I was like, what are, you, what are they doing? This contract is terrible. This guy is, he, you know, he doesn't do, he doesn't do it every night, but brings in a lot of nights. They have Miles Turner, again, doesn't bring it every night, but brings in a lot of nights. Then they come off the bench with Demodis Sabonis. Between those four guys, they usually get two of them playing well every night. Some nights they have three of them play well, and when they do, they dominate. Um, and then obviously they've got Old Depot. I, I, very, really good job by their front office to um, do some, you know, because all of, you know, they drafted Turner, but um, Young they traded for. Uh, Bogdanovich was they picked up as a free agent on a favorable contract. Um, Sabonis they obviously traded for it. Just really good uh, player personnel evaluation. Yeah, hey, we were remiss if we didn't say. I mean, they made news today for all the right reasons too. Uh, oh yeah, that's Kraska right. Making big news, uh, first uh, female assistant GM in the NBA. Uh, but I mean, kudos to them and kudos to her and uh, good luck. I, I can't agree more. I think we talked about coach of the year earlier. Uh, that, that's one of my guys right there, uh, Nate McMillan. I think you gotta you gotta include him on that short list right now. Yeah. Um, and Bogdanovich's shooting numbers, Brian. These can't be either. They're not sustainable, or uh, he is the the league's new best three point shooter. One of these two things. <laughs> uh, so I, I would. Oh wow! Say that, he's shooting forty nine percent from three. Well, yeah, the one he, thing he about can, the, he can uh, shoot it, but man, that is that is crazy. The one thing about the Pacers is they're a bit of a throwback team in that they routinely play two traditional bigs. Um, also, they shoot a good percentage from three, but their volume is way down. I think they're fourth in the league. I didn't check the stats this morning. They're updated, but I think they're fourth in the league in, um, or I should say like uh, fourth, fourth fewest uh, yeah. uh, attempts. Um, they they took a bunch of threes last night because the Knicks played zone against them. I think they took thirty four threes last night, which is, um, but uh, you know they kind of play old school basketball a little bit there. Um, old school, you know, being like two thousand thirteen basketball. Um, and um, <laughs> well, yeah, that, and make no mistake though, Brian, they're winning with uh, defense. I mean, they're the number one yeah. defense in the NBA over the last fifteen games. Number two overall, I think. Yeah, I think like you're saying, their front court is really good. They know who their scorer is. They know who their role player is. It's just a really nice sort of ecology they have going on there, and it's it's showing up on both sides, but especially on defense. Yeah, and their locker room. Uh, I've only been to one Pacer game this year, but I've talked to people in their locker room. They've got great uh, chemistry on their team. One of the things I've talked to some executives about is that they suspect that Indiana could be primed for a trade because they have three point guards um you know uh they almost split the position in half between mm. um uh their starter darren collison and i guess their quote-unquote backup Corey joseph but they they played a little bit By together way, Corey they, joseph played 30 minutes last night and darren collison played 17 okay well their averages are about roughly the same oh yeah no uh, i was just then, going to your point that's all. right and then they have aaron holiday who they're drafted who they like their future uh, and there's a, there's, you know, both, uh, uh, Collison and, uh, Joseph are free agents to be. So there's been some speculation among executives that, you know, maybe they could trade up and get another wing player, trade one of those guards to some of the, you know, to a team and, and help themselves a little bit on the wing. But their locker room chemistry is so good and they're playing so well. You wonder if they even tinker with it. Um, Love to see how that develops. Uh, well, going back, the, I think, to the point of yeah. the Sixers, I, I really wonder. I think both times you brought this up is the uh, 
Is where where do they shake out? Are they the number four seed at the end of this? Because the Pacers aren't giving. I wouldn't up be their surprised if they're number the, five. Yeah, and the and the Celtics are, are sending. So and the Bucks obviously are four in, in Toronto. I mean, I, it would yeah, not Bucks surprise you if the if the Pacers are in the top four. I mean, I, like watching that game the other day. You know, it was just one game, but and obviously Jimmy Butler didn't play. Real big caveat. But when you're when you're just watching the game, you know the Sixers. If if those three guys are clicking, they have as much talent as anybody, and they can beat anybody. But they just they they just the shooting. They have a lot of shooting issues. They have defensive issues. I mean, it's it's just going to be a real challenge for them over these next couple months because they're going to have to do they're going to have to get really creative, and they really only have. I mean, I I don't know if you mentioned this earlier. Markel Fultz is the only contract they can really trade. They could also trade T- Wilson Chandler, but they kind of need him as a body. So um, they they just they're in an interesting spot because they don't have a lot of ways to upgrade this roster and like expecting to get the kind of contributions they got from Marco Bellinelli, Nursan Eliasova last year in the buyout market. I think is a a bit of a stretch too, given the historical. Well, they, yeah, the, you know, and their front office. Of I don't know. It's a different front office. I mean, mostly the same guys, but you know, Brian Colangelo is not there, so. You're expect, you know, obviously they have this good support staff, but you're expecting mid-season upgrades, you know, with some finesse with uh, a young GM, you know. So uh, mm. I don't know how that's going to work out, but that's that's a factor. But I just and if they last lose in year, the first round, does that impact Jimmy Butler's decision? Does he look around and say maybe I should go somewhere else? I you think know. for sure it does. I I think you're right though, Tim. Like they are, like at their top end. I could see them in the conference finals because right. their their talent level uh, mm-hmm. dictates it. I mean, I mean, I can, I don't have to stretch to see playoff games where Ben Simmons has a triple double and Bede scores, you know, twenty eight and has fifteen. Jimmy Butler is dominating at both ends and JJ Redick hits six threes. Like that's not right. none I mean, of that. Top end to me is making the finals, and their bottom end is losing in the first round. Yeah, like, it's I, quite I really spread. think I really think I really think both of those are realistic. Now, I think the finals are less realistic, but right. I, I think to your point, you could see a plausible scenario either way, and that that's what makes the next couple months. I mean, to me, they're maybe the most interesting team to watch between now and the buyout deadline because they just they, they have just several holes to fill. They don't have much to trade. They do have a they do have the uh, Miami Heat twenty twenty one first round pick. Yeah, and they have all their probably picks. that's probably their best asset. Fultz, they can trade. Whether or not they will trade him is another thing. And if you trade him, do you trade him for short-term help now to help this roster and basically consider it a sunk cost, or do you try to flop him out for another prospect to replace him? I don't know. These are all complicated things that uh, factor in, but. Um, it's uh, it's certainly uh, definitely an interesting team to watch. Yeah, I think, um, I all think right. I'd well, join. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, Kurt. I was just going to say this team is not very deep. They traded away Sarich and Covington, but they also traded away depth, and uh, it's going to show up in the playoffs. They're one injury away from being really thin. Um, and as Tim said, I think yeah, relying on Landry Shamet and players like that in the playoffs against some of these other teams is. It's going to be dicey. So I would I would say they need to get some more depth, um, some more talent on the wing, um, some more shooting. Um, to put around these guys because they're not getting it from uh, they're not getting it from the point guard. So they need to have wings and, and bigs that all shoot threes pretty well. Um, I have but, to assume you know, that there's been some meetings out there, Kirk, um, about whether you know meetings out there in some front offices about hey, 
what we do if we trade for Markel Fultz. I got to believe those mm-hmm. those meetings are taking place and we're lining up for the Sixers to have to make a decision and some teams out there to make a decision on what they'd offer. I just I just know how the NBA works and that that stuff's happening. Um, so, uh, well, I really enjoyed this podcast. Um, uh, it's just a surprise when Bontemps is here. So I guess it, I <laughs> credit it to, to Kurt Goldsberry making his, uh, his first appearance. Uh, Andrew Hahn, is there anything else that I forgot? Um, if you haven't subscribed, Brian, which you haven't, it would be great if you did do that. Okay. Uh, I will pretend that I'm going to do that. Uh, thanks to Josh Macri for spinning the dials in Bristol. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you soon.